You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, welcome, welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON20, and you get 20% off of your next order. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kitty copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked. Vikings. And today, of course, is Mock Draft Monday. So later on in the show, we're going to do a Mock Draft. We're in week 10 of Mock Draft Monday. And if you haven't been following along, my rules are that I can't draft anybody uh, that I've drafted in a previous Mock Draft Monday. So the pickings are getting kind of slim. So things got a little interesting in this Mock Draft Monday. But we are going to reset these. uh, So the last few of them, which will be seven round drafts, we'll do trades and the whole thing can be a little bit more open. But a real quick note before we get into all that, the Vikings did make some roster transactions over the weekend. They released a couple of players who probably weren't going to make the team anyways, Tay Hayes and Cordria Tankersley. They were a couple of cornerbacks who were signed to kind of random contracts in the middle of the season because of all the injury problems the Vikings had at cornerback. They ran so thin at corner uh, that they brought in those two players. They didn't have, I don't know if Tay Hayes even got on the field. I don't think he did. Uh, and Tankersley did not have a great showing when he <laughs> went on the field. So it makes sense that they're not, uh, that they didn't like exactly earn a chance to make the team next year. Um, it saves like half a million against the cap. Um, it doesn't save very much because of the way that the cap is calculated in the offseason is with something called the top 51 rule, which uh, means that the only the top 51, the 51 most expensive contracts on your books are what counts toward the salary cap. And the point of it is because, you know, you're going to construct 90 man rosters this offseason. The salary cap is built for 53 man rosters. Um, so, you, hey, only the top 51 count for now. And then once you actually cut down the rosters to 53, then, you know, the accounting is more straight up. So the difference between like Cordria Tankersley contract Tankersley's contract and, you know, the 51st player that now counts because Tankersley is out isn't very much. So you don't actually save really much money at all. Uh, even though their contracts added up to like one and a half million in total, you only actually save about half of that like net right now. So right now uh, they are up to, I think, almost 194 million in cap liabilities. Uh, Over the cap doesn't have Weatherly yet, and they have us at like 191 and a half, 191.4, I think. Um, so add two and a half to that for Weatherly, we're at 193.9, uh, and free agency is next week, which means there is some news yet to come down the pipeline, but I want to spend most of today talking to you about the idea of scheme fit and the idea of position, and this is, uh, inspired, I guess, by a conversation that I guess we'll blame Thor Nystrom for, I guess he started it, by posting something about a mock draft that he saw, uh, talking about the Vikings trading up for Kyle Pitts, and that generated a lot of discussion. Discussion about Kyle Pitts as a tight end. And I've talked about Kyle Pitts before, I think, on this show as somebody who I think is like position agnostic. And I don't think thinking of him as a tight end, like he would come in and replace Kyle Rudolph and one for one with Kyle Rudolph snaps and rolls and stuff. I don't think that would be, I mean, that would be an idiotic thing to do with Kyle Rudolph. And I don't really know if we have any evidence to assume that the Vikings would do like that. I think if they were the kind of team that would like take a player and then try to like retrofit them to their scheme, even though it's not a fit, they probably would have played 
Brett Jones more. So I don't think that's necessarily the Vikings character. If they want a player to execute something uh, for a specific role, they'll go out and find a player that's good at that specific thing and not just a player that also happens to play the same position that was good at a different thing that their team asked them to do. It's one of my kind of free agency and draft bylaws, you know, judge. This is the Justin Jefferson lesson. Judge a player by what your team is going to ask them to do, by what the Vikings will ask them to do, not on what, you know, their old team, their college team, their, you know, free agent, former team would ask them to do. And I think in general, I think we are, treat positions a little too homogenously. You know, you think of a tight end. A tight end can be many different things and players that do entirely different roles. There's a, a big difference between a blocking tight end, you know, an H-back type, a move tight end, you know, a guy that's like a Y that, you know, is basically a big slot receiver. Uh, there's people that do something in between, people like Kyle Rudolph that play more traditional tight end where they kind of do half and half blocking and receiving, but they're receiving. Uh, Kyle Rudolph, you know, in the last couple of years, his receiving was much more about spot routes and kind of finding holes in zones and being like savvy rather than just winning with raw athleticism. And then you look at somebody like Darren Waller, who technically counts as a tight end, who plays a completely different role. And I don't think it makes sense to homogenize tight end the way that we do. And I think that goes for a lot of positions, too. If you think about like a, a linebacker, right? A linebacker can mean a lot of things. In the Pro Bowl sense, a linebacker can be Von Miller and a linebacker can also be Bobby Wagner. And those are two very, very different players. And I think sometimes I'm guilty of this, too. You know, you think of wide receivers and you think, well, I'd rather have a wide receiver than a tight end, right? Because wide receivers are more valuable. You look at the offenses in 11 personnel tend to get more yards and be more explosive than than offenses in 12 personnel. Obviously, I mean, just look at fantasy points, which actually turn out to be a reasonably consistent aggregate for production. Wide receivers get more fantasy points than tight end. You would never take a tight end, a decent tight, you know, you wouldn't take Kyle Rudolph over Mike Evans, right? But I think it's important to examine why. And what what makes wide receiver more valuable than tight end? You probably have a pretty good answer to that. Something to the attune, you know, they tend to be faster. They tend to run deeper routes. Those tend to generate more explosive plays. They're never stuck in run blocking or pass blocking. So they run more routes and volume entirely. They won't, you know, co come off the field in certain situations. You know, Jason Witten won't do a lot for you on third and 14. So yeah, wide receivers tend to be more valuable. But I do think that there is kind of a breakthrough in that distinction and in kind of recognizing what what we want in a wide receiver that a tight end doesn't do. And I think the the broader thing I'm angling at here is instead of thinking about positions, and I'm challenging myself to do this a little bit more, and I invite you to join me, to stop looking at positions and start looking at assignments. And for the most part, this isn't going to change a lot about the way that you evaluate the draft, the way that you decide which players you want in the draft, which free agents you want and stuff, but I think it will help you to distinguish players like Kyle Pitts, and even on the Vikings, players like Harrison Smith or Anthony Barr, who have very distinct assignments that they have to carry out. You know, Harrison Smith, he has to be able to, you know, roll the coverage properly and time a snap count. He also has to be able to, you know, execute man-to-man -man coverage in the slot when the formation requires. And Anthony Barr needs to be able to sim pressure. He needs to be able to be rangy and get out to the flat from the line of scrimmage. He needs to be able to two-gap in the run. He needs to be able to cover slot receivers sometimes. And all of those things are common assignments that he gets and he varies in how good he is at all of those assignments. But instead of thinking of him 
him as a linebacker, think of him as a person who does those assignments, as a person whose job is that. I think that's going to make it a lot easier for us to not get bogged down in, well, that guy's a slot receiver, or is that corner an outside corner? Or in the case of Kyle Pitts, worrying about if he's a wide receiver or a tight end, yeah, that might make your Madden games a little bit awkward because Madden doesn't get to distinguish these things, but ultimately ask yourself, what would Kyle Pitts do? on the Vikings, and that would get more into the evaluation of Kyle Pitts. We'll dive deeper into that at a later date, I'm absolutely sure. But, you know, what will he, will he run, you know, slot routes? Would he line up outside and basically be a Darren Waller, run go routes down the sideline? Can he do that? Do you think he can do that? Can he block? Or would he just be like a wide receiver three type? And if you're going to get a wide receiver three that's playing third fiddle to Thielen and Jefferson, are you spending, you know, a top 15 pick on that? That's the calculus. And I don't know what my answers to of all of those questions are. The answer might be yes, I I am spending a top 15 pick on that because he's Kyle Pitts and he's, you know, dynamic and and he will add an element to the offense that they've been missing and they are missing a starter on the skill player front anyways. They only have four starters right now unless you count CJ Hammer, Tyler Conklin, but I'm hesitant to do that. And I think it's going to be a lot easier to evaluate players by asking yourself what they will do rather than what position they will be called. And I think you'll get a little bit closer to actually accurately assessing what the future will look like. So I'm going to actually suggest a few players that would kind of change the look of the offense, you know, the 12 personnel kind of outside zone bootleggy thing. And you can still run that outside zone bootleg thing that Kirk Cousins thrives in so much, but you could do it more like the Packers did it with all that 11 personnel, or you could do it like how Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers do it with, uh, you know, a, a fullback. If you can get a dynamic, like an H back type, you put a tight end at fullback and call him Kyle Juszczyk or do it like the Rams did it where they stayed in 11 personnel almost entirely like that 2018 season and, you know, added complexities elsewhere that made it really, really impossible for you to get any sense for what the play would be pre-snap because it always looked the same. So I've got a few interesting thought experiments, I guess. I don't even know if I would call them suggestions, but interesting thought experiments for how players could come in and how I would warp the scheme around them, how I would make it work for their skill sets. And of course, we still have Mock Draft Monday coming up in a little bit. But first, I want to talk to you about Gramblin'. It is March, and that means March Madness is coming up. An interesting bet that I, I found myself on, Duke not having a great season, which is, of course, so, so uncharacteristic for Duke. Uh, they're still favored to make the NCAA tournament, but no is plus 135, and yes is minus 175. That's a really interesting bet, and I don't know enough about college basketball to know which side I would bet on it, but if you do, and you have an idea, you maybe want to place a wager, head on over to betonline.ag. BetOnline is your one-stop shop for all things gambling be it NFL futures, college basketball, pro basketball, MLB, NHL, even awards, reality TV stuff. You could have bet on the Golden Globes. You could bet on the Oscars. Anything you want, you can find it over at betonline.ag. And if you enter our promo code that's locked on, all one word, locked on, when you sign up with your first deposit, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus. So that means for every $100 you deposit as part of your first one, they'll match you 50 bucks. That's free Gramblin' money. So head on over to betonline.ag on your computer or mobile device to get started. But online, you're online sportsbook experts. Selection Sunday, everyone's favorite national holiday, is a week away, and there will be a number of ACC teams left out of the tournament. So what went wrong in the ACC this season? That is the topic of today's Locked On Today podcast, hosted by Peter Bukowski. You can get all of the sports news you need in under 20 minutes every morning with Locked On Today, wherever you get your podcasts. So let me put my money where my mouth is a little bit here, and uh, let me try to describe what I think the offense would look like with Kyle Pitts or a similar player. Um, Let's say the Vikings... 
end up with Darren Waller in some crazy turn of events. I've seen some people comp Kyle Pitts to Darren Waller, and I think that I think can help us, you know, understand his role a little bit, whether or not you think that's a good comp. It can at least be a valuable thought experiment. What if the Vikings ended up with Darren Waller somehow? And they were able to run concepts accordingly and everything else about the skill players stayed the same. So your skill players would be, and I hope you're sitting down, Thielen, Jefferson, Darren Waller, Dalvin Cook, and Irv Smith. That would be pretty intense. So I think you'd obviously, I mean, you'd probably see the same amount of 12 personnel. Calling it 12 personnel would feel kind of like a misnomer, though. So call it 12 or 11, whatever you think of Darren Waller slash Kyle Pitts, whoever you're imagining in your mind. And you'd imagine the Vikings would have a fairly like vertical approach. And if I recall, the Vikings had a pretty vertical approach already, so that would actually fit in pretty well. But you'd run more, you know, three vertical, uh, you know, three deep type concepts, maybe attack some of the cover three, although you might not want to do like three verts because three verts against cover three wouldn't be great, but it would be interesting against certain concepts. You know, you would have interesting flood concepts and stuff. You'd be able to do a lot more long developing routes because you'd have a lot of speed and those long developing routes don't take as long to develop when the guys are fast. I also would have to speculate that the the passing volume would expand a little bit. And I know a lot of you just rolled your eyes thinking that Zimmer would put the kibosh on that, but I really don't. I think Zimmer just thinks Dalvin Cook is very good, wants to use Dalvin Cook a lot. But I think if you gave Mike Zimmer a, a Darren Waller type player to round out, you know, Thielen, Jefferson, and Irv Smith, and then Dalvin Cook as the check down, I think he would go to that plenty. Um, you know, I, I don't think, I think Kyle Rove had something like 37 targets, and I don't think he would just step in and have Kyle Pitts or Darren Waller just like only catch those passes. Um, I think he would probably, there would be some, ex, there would have to be some expansion of passing volume. If you're going to spend that much on a, on a pass catcher, it would kind of have to naturally follow that there's just going to be more situations that you feel like, oh, we can rely on Kyle Pitts or Darren Waller for this. And for whatever it's worth, I think the org's pretty high on on Irv Smith and uh, might think of him a little bit more that way. So if you're looking for a reason for optimism about them passing more, it might be that they trust Irv Smith a little bit more than they would trust, you know, Kyle Rudolph on, on a second and 10. Kyle Rudolph getting, you know, a 15-yard catch is a little bit less easy to rely on and having somebody like Irv Smith in there instead more often, like what kind of happened down the stretch when the passing volume started to expand a little bit in the end of the season. Like, I feel like we're going to kind of double down on that version of the offense rather rather than the version of the offense that couldn't get the run going against Tennessee, for example. I think you'd see something similar with, like, a Curtis Samuel, who I keep bringing up. I'm not as obsessed with him as I seem, but I am, I don't know, I'm a little obsessed with him. Uh, but he does make for such an interesting example because he would add such a horizontal element, but he also would, you know, continue to, to push the vertical element. So if I were to speculate, if the Vikings signed Curtis Samuel, if they found a way to bring in Curtis Samuel, and Curtis Samuel is kind of your your Kyle Rudolph replacement, and you just run more 11 personnel now, um, you probably would still have a fairly vertical element. You wouldn't become a screen offense, right? You wouldn't become a like a bubble screen slant offense. You'd probably be able to run those short concepts, concepts a little bit more, and I think maybe one of the most exciting things about bringing Curtis Samuel in for me is how it would affect second and longs, because I think on second and long, Curtis, and, Curtis Samuel and the skill set, the toolbox, that he has and stuff like mesh and on slants and spot routes and stuff is really, really exciting, a lot more exciting than what you would ask, say, Kyle Rudolph to do, and he would be replacing those reps. And then uh, just for fun, I wanted to bring in an interesting one on defense, and I think the defense is a little bit of an amoeba, and it always sort of morphs depending on who's there and who's available and stuff. You know, they ran a bunch of cover two, they stopped doing quite as many sim pressures when Anthony Barr went out because they didn't have a player that could do those, and uh, that I think is... It's a, a much more, it's kind of putty, 
Um, so I don't know if there would be like a scheme to change, I guess. Like it's really difficult to nail down what Zimmer's scheme is, but like, what if you brought in someone like Hassan Reddick, who is a, another difficult player to nail down? He's sort of position agnostic a little bit. Some people think of him as a, as a linebacker. He probably shouldn't be covering that much. He wasn't excellent in coverage. He was a lot better in pass rushing and run defense and stuff. Um, kind of playing that, that Sam under linebacker, actually a similar, uh, alignment, at least to what Anthony Barr did, but Hassan Reddick struggled so much in coverage that I don't know, and, and excelled a lot more in the pass rush, even against offensive linemen, so it seems like he's a little bit more pure of a defensive lineman, and bringing him in, you'd have a lot more kind of five-man fronts, you'd run a lot more under fronts, it would actually start to look a little bit like what we traditionally think of as a 3-4 or a 3-3-5 when you're in nickel. Um, it, again, that distinction is all very arbitrary, and I think in the spirit of today's episode, I encourage you to forget the distinction of 4-3 versus 3-4 and think more about fronts, which I did a fronts episode, I think in the season or maybe just before it. Um, I might do another one in the summer or, you know, if we have a random moment where we have time, I'll do one where I explain like what is an under, what is an over and all that stuff. So you can kind of understand fronts and understand the difference between 4-3 and 3-4 and how when you take a linebacker off and put a cornerback on, they both look exactly the same. But I think if you had like Hassan Reddick and Anthony Barr, you would have a very, very interesting time constructing your fronts. And I I think that the experiment of what you would do, I mean, ask a defensive coach what he would do with that kind of talent, and I think you'll get a different answer from each one of them, and I think that's fascinating and awesome. I don't know if that's necessarily an argument for or against bringing in a guy like Hassan Reddick, but it sure is a, an interesting thought experiment. I think there's value for us to just think about it. So before we move on to Mock Draft Monday, so we've been doing a lot of Built Bar stuff on this podcast. Of course, talk to you all the time about Built Bar, low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, tastes amazing, covered in chocolate. You know the scoop. But it is time to find out which Built Bar is best. This is low-key, I think maybe a little inspired by uh, all of the Locked On NFL hosts in a group chat have been arguing for days over which uh, Built Bar flavor is the best. That is not like a, a line. That has actually been happening for days. They're, the, the great coconut wars of 2021 are raging. Ask Alex Clancy of Locked On Cards how he feels about coconut. And so I guess it's time to settle this once and for all because it is Built Bar madness. So today's matchup, there's two matchups. It's Apple Almond Crisp versus Churro Puff. I have not sampled the Churro Puff one yet, but the next one is a deeply difficult and dividing one to my soul. It's Peanut Butter Brownie versus Raspberry, which is two of my favorite flavors. I love chocolate peanut butter. I love chocolate raspberries so much. I think I have to give the edge a little bit to Peanut Butter Brownie, but if you have your own thoughts, you can head over to BuiltBar.com or at Built underscore Bar on Twitter. And remember, use the promo code LOCKEDON2020, the number, to get 20% off of your next order. That is locked on 20, all one word, to get 20% off of your next order at builtbar.com and check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar. So Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson are obviously maybe on the move this offseason. There's all kinds of trade nonsense going around with them. So Locked On Seahawks and Locked On Texans have been all over this, especially on Locked On Seahawks. Last week, Corbin had the hosts from all the other destinations, from, you know, Locked On Saints, Locked On Bears, etc., all bidding against each other for what they would give up for Russell Wilson. Really fun stuff. And Locked On Texans has been all over that meltdown as well. So make sure you, uh, you check that out if you're interested in, uh, you know, a little bit of mess on radio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let us 
dive into Mock Draft Monday. So if you are here for your first Mock Draft Monday, welcome. I love you. What we've been doing here is uh, three rounds, so no trades, keeping it simple until after free agency. And if I've taken somebody in a previous Mock Draft, I can't take them now. And that list is getting very long. Here's the first round picks from the previous Mock Drafts. We are in week 10 now, so there's nine of these. Gregory Rousseau, Edge from Miami, Devonta Smith, Rayshon Slater, Rashad Bateman has been picked, Elijah Vera Tucker, Christian Derisaw, Christian Barmore, Quiddy Pay, and we even did Micah Parsons last week. So a lot of the most commonly mocked people are off limits now, which leads me, though, I haven't taken a cornerback yet, and the cornerback that seems to always be on the board is J.C. Horn. Horn is an interesting prospect. I don't know if he has that full round of skills that you want from a corner. I don't know if any of the corners in this class do, but his big thing is press men and being a kind of physical corner. Now, he's not huge. It's a little bit Cameron Dantzler-y, where he'll be, he's a good press corner. He can play press very well, but for example, when it comes to like run defense, he'll get bowled over a little bit, and then those size concerns start to come in. It's not an effort Thing, and it's definitely not a competitiveness thing. So it's not like Greedy Williams, who I'm pretty sure Zimmer like maybe didn't even have him on his board for that because he kind of made some, we'll call him business decisions. That was like his whole thing. But of course, you don't want to get bullied on the top of the route. So that's a little bit of a concern. And it's unfortunate that that's the concern when it's supposed to be his point of strength. I've seen some mixed reviews about his zone defense, although I don't see it as much of a concern, just not necessarily a strength. But the thing is that he can, you know, he can get bullied on routes a little bit. And I think he tries to overcompensate for that a little too much because he's gotten a lot of penalties, a lot of penalty yards. He's grabby. So you'll have to kind of work that tendency out of him. You're going to have to, you know, bust out the boxing gloves. Um, and he also, I think, lunges a little bit, maybe leaves his feet too often on tackles, which is kind of what you're trying to do. You're trying to hit extra hard because you're a little too small, and then you lose all your leverage and you get bowled over even worse. So there's a few things that you need to clean up with him. But I don't think that makes him not a first round corner. And I don't think I would uh, I don't think I would turn my nose up at a pick of J.C. Horn. I don't really have a great take on Patrick Sertain or Caleb Farley, the other two kind of commonly mocked first round corners. They're often gone before the Vikings uh, pick in these simulations. So I haven't really had a chance to look into him too much. We'll get to him eventually, though, uh, that I promise you. So then we have to fast forward to round three, where again, running out of players. But since this is the first one we're doing since uh, Kyle Rudolph was released and the Vikings are down a skill player, they need a starter at skill player. Uh, and I, I'm just saying at skill player instead of at tight end or wide receiver or whatever, because I don't think it's very wise to specify. So I think take all the wide receivers you have access to and all the tight ends you have access to, all the pass catchers you have access to and take the best one available. So here in the third round, there's a couple guys that are really, really interesting that I want to talk about. Um, Tommy Tremble out of Notre Dame had a very interesting time there. And PFF comp into like Kyle Juszczyk is like an H-back, but he played tight end, but he had a very, very strange role that's difficult to pin down at Notre Dame. And I think this goes to the, forget calling him a tight end or a fullback or whatever, you know, drafting a fullback in the third round would definitely get you some ridicule or whatever, but call him an H-back, call him whatever the hell you want to call him. But if he can be a Kyle Juszczyk role where he actually generates explosive plays and it's just that he lines up in a weird spot in the backfield and the EPA on that on average isn't great, like who cares? Get a good player, right? And he could be a good player. My problem with Tommy Tremble isn't that he would have a unique role um, and that you would have to like make up a role for him. 
I think any offensive coordinator worth his salt should be able to figure that out. If Notre Dame can figure it out, I think pro teams can figure it out. But he's got a drops issue. He's a little inconsistent, and he wasn't a great blocker. So if you want to line him up like where you line CJ Ham up right now, it's going to have a harmful effect because you're not going to be able to utilize that for play action, which is where the real value in that is, without also running out of those formations sometimes. And you might be running behind a lead blocker that's not a very good blocker, and that could kind of lead to some pretty disastrous things. And you basically have to choose, okay, am I going to, you know, set up the run with one yard runs and so I can do a play action later? Or do I just not do play action because I can't set it up and I can't have good plays that set it up, right? That's what you really want. You want to have a nine yard play that sets up another 14 yard play. And if he can't run block and be that lead, you know, the hammer like CJ Ham is, you can't get that. Um, the other guy I was looking at is much more traditional. If you want to be the 12 personnel team, if you want to just replace Kyle Rudolph's role, have a guy run spot routes and have pretty good hands and run block okay, Hunter Long, tight end, Boston, Boston College. That's your guy. And that's going to be my pick for this one, kind of going against this whole thing about like making up roles and stuff. But Tommy Tremble, I don't know. He just seems a little too inconsistent. But again, it's not the role that scares me off. It's the consistency. And at least Hunter Long can be consistent, even though the ceiling there is low. And I think getting better blocking off of the edge out of the tight ends there can be pretty valuable. But the next pick is what I think is really going to generate the discourse. Because you know what? Screw it. Let's swing on a quarterback. I don't have access to any of the players that I would have liked to take. Uh, Keith, Taylor Jr. was there. Amari Rogers was there. Jordan Smith was there. These are all players that have taken in previous mock draft Mondays. It's getting way too crowded. So I'm looking forward to resetting this either next week or the week after, depending on how the news cycle goes. And so I went for Kyle Trask, the quarterback out of Florida. He was there in the third round. You know what? I said, screw it. Let's take a quarterback. Let's take a swing. Now, I don't believe in Kyle Trask. To me, it sounds like he embodies a lot of the worst parts of Kirk Cousins without the high ceiling plays of Kirk Cousins. He, you know, only excels in structure. He can do kind of bonehead things outside of structure. Improvisation isn't his thing, but he can do option game and he can run around and he has that kind of youthful athleticism. And maybe you can change the offense a little bit around that as is, you know, the theme of the episode. And, you know, in a backup, sometimes you want a guy that will change the offense. You know, you, if Ponder goes down, you maybe want Joe Webb that you can do option plays with and then actually do it instead of what Bill Musgrave did in that playoff game. I think that can be somewhat valuable, but ultimately I don't have a lot of belief that he will like eventually be a a starting quality quarterback, but here's the thing about the quarterback position. The quarterback position is so valuable that there is something in hedging against me being wrong in that. And if I was looking at taking a quarterback, and I'm definitely one of those guys that says you should take a quarterback every single time. If you have two good quarterbacks because you drafted one in the fifth round and they worked out way better than that, and then you have to trade them away and do a Jimmy Garoppolo thing like what the Patriots did, that is the best problem ever to have. So even though I think the probability of him working out is low, it's not zero, and quarterback is a value enough position where taking low probability swings could be worth a third round pick. And I, I, for that reason, would pretty much accept any quarterback unless you did something like deliberately stupid. So for free agency, we've already gone over the guards, the defensive tackles, and the skill players. Uh, I still want to talk about some secondary players and, and whatever else I can get into. And of course, we'll cover any news that comes up. So I will see you guys all tomorrow. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL, shows on Twitter at LockedOnVikings, and as always, Skull.